0: Hello and welcome back to the Forster's More Than Law podcast. I'm your host, Miri Stickland. Today, we're back on the familiar grounds of discussing sustainability in the real estate sector. With one eye on the government's promised Green Day update, at the time of recording, rumours abound that we're going to be hearing some significant climate-related policy announcements, as well as the publication of a refreshed net zero strategy later this week. I'm talking to the CRE team Senior Associate Ed Glass and Senior KDL Louise Irvin on the significance of the 1st of April 2023 in the context of the energy efficiency of buildings and why buyers need to be particularly alive to liabilities which they may be taking on in this regard. So, as we know, energy performance certificates are the way in which we rate the energy efficiency of buildings in England and Wales, that's done on a sliding scale from A to G. And anything below E is considered to be substandard. So, Ed, EPCs have been around for a while now. Recently, very much back in the press again. What is the significance of the 1st of April
1: 2023? Yeah, so, as you say, Mary, uh, there's been a lot of press coverage about EPCs and and minimum energy efficiency standards, or or MEES, as as they've been termed. Um, The reason for this um, and the significance of the 1st of April date is that for commercial property landlords, owners of commercial property letting uh, premises to tenants that have an F or G rated EPC, those landlords cannot lawfully continue to let that premises as of the 1st of April unless an exemption um, is applicable. Um, as to the type of tenancy that, that that is relevant, effectively it is anything more than six months in, in, of a term, or less than 99 years. Um, so the key point is that effectively, if you're letting FLG-rated EPC property without an exemption, as of that date, it is unlawful. You are doing something um, that is against the law, and you need to take action. Um, in contrast to the position before the 1st of April uh, 2023, it has been unlawful to let a premises with an FLG-rated uh, EPC. As opposed to continue to bet. So, the significance of the change is that you may be doing something unlawful with a tenant in situ and not, in contrast to the position before, have an opportunity to do something about it. So, the key point as of 1st of April 2023, landlords with FLG rated EPCs need to do something to avoid um, the perils of the legislation.
0: Thanks, Ed. Louise, if I can come to you, I'm interested to know how you've seen the real estate markets reacting to the date.
2: Yeah, sure, Mary. Well, it's interesting, actually, because despite the increasing focus on sustainability and green leases that we're seeing in the market and the drive towards net zero carbon, uh, the obligation um, to have an EPC of E or above um, applying to existing lettings from the 1st of April seems to have come as a surprise to quite a lot of people. Um, Certainly a lot of the people we've been talking to in the market hadn't quite appreciated, and this date seems to have crept up on them. Um, It just doesn't seem to have resonated as much in the industry as some of the other sustainability aspects. Uh, And obviously, we've seen most of the F&G rated buildings having been approved since Mies have come into force. People have driven towards that, triggered by sales and new lettings. Um, But there are still a lot of um, sub E rated properties out there that will fall foul of the legislation post 1st of April this year. Uh, So current owners are going to have to take steps to kind of bring those up to speed um, relatively quickly. Um, And we'll come on to it later. But there's also lots of C&D rated buildings, which, as the legislation pushes towards higher EPC ratings, need to be taken into account as well.
0: Thank you. So Ed's been talking a bit about it being unlawful to continue to let. What are then landlords with sub-E rated properties facing? Are there going to be hefty penalties for failing to meet the
2: the required standard? Yeah, pretty hefty, I'd say. So the, the penalties for failing to comply with me is they're civil, not criminal, which I think a lot of owners will be relieved to hear. Um, so there's a maximum £5,000 fine if you fail to comply with a compliance notice or if you register false or misleading information. Um, but the penalties for, for non-compliance in terms of continuing to let or granting a letting at a subpar rating are much more onerous. Um, it's at the discretion of the enforcement agency, um, but there is a maximum fine of £150,000 So not really a laughing matter and definitely one that people want to try to avoid. Uh, and also, it's worth mentioning it will be easier for an enforcement agency to enforce this post the 1st of April. Um, the EPCs, obviously, the ratings are on a public register. Um, and once post 1st of April, given that it will apply to any ongoing letting, all that the agency will need to do is to have a look at properties with an f or g rating. And if there's a letting in place, then that will be a red flag to, to go after them and see if they need to enforce. Um, so there's no need for the agency to actually look at the date that the lease was granted once we get post the 1st of April it's um, probably also worth mentioning the reputational risk as well because the EPC register is public so people will be looking there's been a lot in the press about the properties that aren't compliant um, so the larger Property owners will obviously want to avoid any kind of public uh, risk of that. Um, and larger landlords in particular, you know, they want to show their sustainability ratings and, and keep that as part of their focus. So I think that will push them to do that. The only other point I've mentioned, though, is that query whether the enforcement agencies have the funds or the capacity to pursue and enforce these penalties. We haven't seen a lot of that taking place. Um, yeah. So it'd be interesting to see going forwards if they start to focus on this or if they just don't have the time and resource to do it
1: yes so it's it's probably worth adding louis a couple of common uh, questions um that that we have is 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 the lease invalid which it isn't um the lease remains in place and and, and valid um the second point uh, are, you know it is the landlord that assumes this risk not the tenant unless the tenant is of course under letting um, and it's highly unlikely that you'll see in a lease a position where the landlord has successfully tried to subvert the responsibility for compliance with lease. So this is very much uh, an issue for, for landlords to consider.
0: But if the lease has been granted prior to these regulations, you know, if it was 25 year lease, so you couldn't have even reasonably predicted that these regulations were going to come into place. What can a landlord actually do practically?
1: Well, that's the real significance of this date, Mary, because it it, it applies irrespective of of, of when the lease lease was granted. So you may have a very long lease, it may be F or G rated, and the the lease may not preserve the right for the landlord to to make an intervention, for example, to change the premises to bring it up to speed. In those circumstances, the, the landlord will have to apply for an exemption or otherwise come to some sort of arrangement with the tenant, naturally, of course, those arrangements improving the energy performance of a at least the 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 potential energy performance of a building by way of its EPC will also benefit the tenant typically in terms of lower utility bills.
0: Thank you so is there any way of landlords avoiding um, incurring the penalties?
1: So yes the, the the exemption process is is one that that landlords ultimately will need to rely on if they are contingent substandard property i.e. FLG rated. Um, The exemptions really fall into three different categories. One, there is an exemption available in terms of uh, energy efficiency improvements that would otherwise uh, decrease the value of the property by 5%. I think it's fair to say and the government have acknowledged that they think this is unlikely to apply. The second uh, exemption is based on the need for third-party contents. If a landlord has sought consent from a necessary third party to make improvements to this particular property and it's used reasonable efforts to do so, so for example, a tenant in situ or for example, um, a listed building uh, uh, where consent is required in respect of that and has been unable to seek that, then it can apply for an exemption. The final exemption um, uh, relates to um, whether the landlord um, has carried out what are described in the legislation as all relevant energy efficiency improvements. Very broadly, if a landlord has carried out all those improvements that satisfy a seven-year payback test, i.e. the the, the savings made in terms of energy uh, benchmarked against the cost of those works up front pay for themselves in seven years, then that is an energy, a relevant energy efficiency improvement. If a landlord can demonstrate that it has carried out all of those, or indeed that there are none to carry out, then it can also apply for an exemption.
0: So to date, what have you seen in practice in terms of which of those particular exemptions are actually being used?
1: Yes, I, I think to date, the, uh, the um, exemptions have been rare. And that's on the basis that the letting restrictions have applied to new transactions. So in essence, a landlord before a new lease typically has had the opportunity to bring a property up to standard in order to lawfully let. We will now, of course, see far more exemptions. And I think the expectation is that with, for for example, those le- long leases with tenants in situ, the tenant consent exemption, where a landlord is seeking the consent of the tenant to secure an exemption. Will become more uh, more applicable across the across the industry. I think one point for landlords to take note of is that that simply isn't a question of asking the tenant, "Can we carry out works?" It's more than that. It's whilst the precise scope of what comprises reasonable efforts is untested in the courts, for um, it will require more than a simply a landlord asking a tenant and a tenant saying no.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you what sort of evidentially you might have to supply in order to take advantage of that exemption.
1: Yeah, I think that, uh, as I say, the, 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 it is untested, but the, the relevant guidance does indicate that you would, a landlord would need to t- undertake numerous efforts mm-hmm. to seek that consent and through various different channels of communication. And critically, if that landlord is seeking that exemption, it will need to demonstrate that it has undertaken those efforts. So copies of correspondence, for example, are absolutely key.
2: It's interesting, though, because Ed and I were talking earlier, neither of us are aware of those exemptions actually being interrogated by the agencies at all. So it will be interesting to see going forwards if that starts to be something that people scrutinise. Obviously, it is a offence under the legislation to give misleading or false exemptions um and obviously you would then incur the fine but it would be interesting to see if people have been robustly pursuing this or if really people are slightly sliding them in and not going to huge efforts to get consent so um yeah i think it would be interesting to see what happens in the future thank you so louise we've mentioned earlier there's still quite a
0: lot of sub e rated properties if anyone's looking at a commercial property which is f or g rated what sort of things would you suggest that they have uh, at the top of their mind?
2: Well, I think they need to be getting as much information as they possibly can from the sellers. Um, you know, buyers can't automatically rely on the exemptions that the seller has got in place if they have got them. Um, they need to be applying for themselves. So they would need to find the evidence that Ed's just been talking about to, to apply for one of those grounds for exemptions. Um, you do get a sixth-month temporary exemption um, once you purchase a property, just to give a bit of wriggle room and breathing space for buyers. Um, but again, that's not automatic. They'd need to make sure they put that in place straight away. So obviously, knowing with the dates that are coming up, they'll need to get that sorted. Um, but also, just be asking lots of questions from the sellers. So, what have they done? Sort of do exemptions? Have they carried out works? So they need to really interrogate licenses for alterations and see what's been done in the property and what the landlords have thought about doing. Um, and it's also worth checking whether MEES even applies, you know, does it require an EPC or does it not have the heating and ventilating in place? And most likely it will, but just double check. Um, if an EPC has been provided on the sale, then obviously check how up to date it is and make sure that it marries up with what's really in place. Um, and yeah, just really, really important for buyers. Because obviously, as I say, they're not in, they're not, although they're not inheriting the seller's liability that remains with the seller for their period of ownership, they also aren't inheriting any exemptions that they've got. So they really need to get all their ducks in a row and get as much information as they can going forward.
0: And then Ed, from the seller's perspective, uh, once they've sold a property, are they then free of liability?
1: Yeah, as Louis indicated, the, the, the seller will not; it does not wash its hands of liability on a, on a sale of an asset. Um, and uh, essentially, there's a look back period of eighteen months um, for the enforcement authority to to uh, enforce in respect of a breach of the letting restrictions. Um, I'm not sure that that look back period necessarily applies to uh, the concept of um, a breach on account of uh, providing false or misleading information to the. public register of exemptions um and so in in that respect that 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 time limit doesn't necessarily apply um i think it's important to emphasize that point that 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 louise makes um for on a transaction for a seller a buyer faced with a property uh, particularly if it has a lender involved uh with g rated property uh, that's now an immediate red flag um and the the buyer will be drilling down on uh, the the circumstances involved so for example if there is an exemption as you say Louise um, what are the grounds for that exemption so that the buyer can then think about how it will deal with the situation afterwards whether that is on acquisition making an application for a temporary exemption making an application for a longer five-year exemption something we haven't mentioned it which is the general term of the exemptions or indeed having a strategy in place to deal with it there and then um, is it, for example, the relevant property vacant and the improvements can be made? So from the seller's perspective, be braced for those questions um, and uh, ideally anticipate them in advance of, of of an asset going on the market.
0: Interested to know what position lenders are taking. Are you seeing a change in the way that they would deal with their requirements in the loan doc- or security documentation. So
2: we've been debating this a lot, actually, internally. I, th- I personally think the lenders have been quite slow to pick up on this, not just EPCs, but sustainability as a whole. Um, it is being asked by some, but it's not yet becoming such a stringent requirement. We haven't, for example, seen anything going into certificates of title around this. Um, so although it's a question being asked, I don't personally think it's yet come the forefront as much as it should do. Um, I'd imagine it's going to quickly accelerate, though, um, as they realise the importance and the amount of money that might need to be invested to bring these assets up to a a marketable and legislatively happy situation.
0: Yeah. Thank you. So, Ed, coming back to you, what do you see the main challenges of this change uh, being for building owners?
1: I think, uh, or fundamentally, the first challenge is that if you do have G rated property, and you're letting it there's no room to hide right now you need to do something um you need to bring the property up to standard or indeed you need to seek an exemption otherwise as as we talked about you are doing something unlawful um i think perhaps more pertinently there is anticipated change on the horizon um and that at the moment uh, or as of the 1st of april the prohibition on continuing to let applies to f or g rated property the government anticipates and we anticipate that it will legislate for that threshold to rise to an EPCB by 2030 and an EPC by 2027. And so whilst build, whilst building owners now may be able to deal with property that is F or G rated, they need to anticipate the prospect of change, even though it isn't legislation as yet, which is a common misconception, that those thresholds are significantly going to rise. And of course many landlords now are granting leases for terms that span that particular those particular dates 2027 2030 landlords now need to acknowledge the prospect that they will be faced with the same situation in 2027 2030 but with much higher thresholds to to adhere to so i think on one hand you have the change the, the significance of the 1st of april date you have to do something with lettings now or by generally small tweaks to the property. Halogen light bulbs, for example, can tip EPCs over the threshold. But moving forward, the challenges are going to be far more significant. And those challenges are not, uh, are those that landlords cannot simply hide away from right now.
0: So important to be thinking about future proofing now in anticipation of further changes. So Louise, talking of, the proposed changes, Um, what else can landlords put in place now?
2: So I think the really key thing is that landlords who are granting leases at the moment, which, as Ed said, are going to span the dates, um, should really be looking to future-proof the leases via drafting in as much as they can to try and account for MEs and any future... Uh, alterations they might need to make to the buildings if they haven't already been able to do so. Um, so they can try to reserve rights of access in the event that they do need to carry out works to bring up to higher energy efficiency standards. Um, we're already seeing controls around tenant alterations, um, not commissioning an EPC without the landlord's consent, without their required provider, um, and complying with landlords' reasonable requirements around energy efficiency. Uh, and I think those will only seek to be more stringent as time goes on, and landlords really have to draw drill down into what you know even minor amendments by alterations by tenants could make a big difference to epc ratings once we get up to the kind of b and c standards Um, It's possible landlords could try to shift the costs for carrying out these improvements onto the tenant. But in the current economic climate, I think that'd be a huge challenge. And we're seeing massive pushback from tenants on that kind of drafting. It's really unlikely to succeed. And obviously everything we're saying here is easier to deal with before you've made the letting. If you're looking to have to vary leases, then that makes life a lot more difficult. Um, Much easier if you're tying it in with a variation that the tenants requested or a regear or something similar. Um, Otherwise it's quite tricky for landlords to collaborate with the tenants. But I think the key message and it's one we're saying for all sustainability related things really is that landlords and tenants need to collaborate and communicate as much as possible um i think there's a tendency from tenants to see it as an extra cost and not something they really need to worry about and yet another thing the landlord's trying to impose on them but actually it's it is for greater good you know we are driving it for a net zero carbon and a proper green um agenda so i think it's really important that they have that dialogue as early as possible we're trying to put green um, provisions into heads of terms stage for new lettings so that it's on everybody's radar and it doesn't come as a horrible surprise when you see these provisions in the lease. So I think the more it's talked about and the more understanding there is between the landlord and tenant that actually it's for a mutual benefit to have these energy-efficient buildings. And, and for a lot of new lettings, that's an absolute must now for tenants, that they will be going into a very, you know, very green and very energy-efficient building. So hopefully as that dialogue improves, that will help. Um, but definitely for landlords, it's a challenge at the moment trying to make sure they've got those rights in their leases.
0: And I suppose, as Ed touched on earlier, there is that utility bill impact, you know, given the energy rises that we've been seeing over the last year or so in particular... I suppose the other angle as well is the sustainability reporting part where you're talking about corporate occupiers who, you know, have that governance around ESG.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I actually, I shouldn't should have mentioned that before. That is a real challenge getting um, the data collection piece. So landlords will want to get as much data for, as they can from tenants, either from smart meters or getting consent to go directly to suppliers so they can have that ongoing monitoring. So it's more than just a snapshot. They've actually got a bigger picture of the actual energy usage from the corporate occupier. So, again, that's provisions that you can try to put into a lease or retrospectively get a, you know a consent letter or something from the tenants.
0: So talking of ongoing monitoring, um, <laughs> thinking about what's next. That was a seamless segue, wasn't it? Think about what's next on the horizon. Louise?
2: Well, I think most people agree on the- Sorry if I offend any massive EPC fans out there, but they definitely have their limitations. And I think they're a really outdated concept on their own now in the wider discussion around energy efficiency and sustainability. Because um, as I alluded to earlier, they just give a snapshot at one moment in time. They are not in any way capturing the energy uses of the building, the landlord's habits, how the tenants using their building and their, all the energy that they're using. Um, obviously fairly recently we saw the introduction of Neighbours which is the Australian rating system and that requires an annual submission of data of energy use data for an ongoing monitoring and I think that's we're seeing that being adopted a lot more by property owners as giving a more realistic overview of what we're seeing so whether we end up with an EPC in conjunction with a similar system to that or whether we end up getting rid of EPCs and having something altogether different. I, I don't know. But certainly on their own, I think they're a very limited picture of what a building actually represents in terms of energy usage.
0: So moving much more towards an in-performance review? I, I think so, personally. Monitoring. I
2: think it makes a lot more sense and is more towards what everybody's driving for. Um, and I also think we'll see, as I mentioned, the lease provisions becoming more stringent Um we're seeing people having a proper sustainability agenda that landlords present over their portfolios or for individual buildings um, and as I mentioned trying to work together with tenants um, towards those net zero and sustainability targets uh, and an EPC is obviously just a tiny part of that bigger picture.
1: I, I'd, I'd slightly challenge challenge that Louise if you don't mind. Um, okay, um, <laughs> <fluctuates>. <laughs> uh, I, I, I stand behind EPCs to a, degree, to a degree. They do of course as you say have their uh, their. their the, well, inadequacies they don't perhaps go as far enough but I, I think it for someone from someone who has been following uh the, the meese legislation since 2015 um epcs and the meese legislation have driven change
2: oh no that's um, fair and
1: it is um the regulation itself has focused landlord minds on bringing properties up speed now of course there are probably a number of commercial property owners out there now who probably the first of april date hasn't resonated with them quite as much as it should but it does force panels to think and act um and so i don't think we should dismiss epcs entirely as a, as a useful tool in the overall process of bringing the built environment towards a net zero world um and i think they have a part to play in the future um with these increasing thresholds i think Again, we're talking about it now. It will come to to everyone's attention, building owners, that they will have to act in the years ahead. And I think EPCs will remain. That said, as you say, there are there are deficiencies in what EPCs show. They do not show; they only show the potential energy performance of a building as opposed to its actual performance. And there are other avenues that can be explored to ensure that what is Built on the ground is actually reflecting how that is used.
0: So Ed's going for evolution, and Louise is on the revolution side. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I completely
2: agree. Ed, I think they, you're right. They absolutely drove change, and I think of their time, they were brilliant at focusing everyone's minds on it. I just think we need a more sophisticated rating system now to really push it. And I, I
1: will probably get some significant pushback uh, from various people who are irritated by the the um, administrative hurdles on transactions where epcs are involved but i do think um uh, they have uh, they are an important part of driving change um uh, and uh, you know going back to what we were talking about earlier in a transaction where you're selling a building their relevance has never been more important than as of the current day and moving forward in the years ahead 2027-2030 assuming the government does indeed legislate as it as suggested it will
0: thank you both so to wrap up 1st of April 2023 it's no joke
2: <laughs> April Fool's Day oh god Mary I <laughs> completely <laughs> didn't get that <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh dear how long are you working on the audience i have
0: to work with
2: <laughs>
0: thanks so much for joining us today if you'd like to listen to any more of our more than law podcasts then you can find them on all good podcast platforms or you can head over to our website forsters.co.uk and link to them from there you can also obviously find us on social media linkedin and twitter amongst them and until next time goodbye
1: The Forster's More Than Law podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Forster's LLP accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct or consequential loss arising from the use of, reliance on, or reference to this podcast. Forster's LLP makes no warranty or representation as to the accuracy of the information contained in this podcast. The More Than Law podcast and any copyright in it is the property of Forster's LLP and it shall not be used, reproduced, or quoted in whole or part without Forster's LLP's prior written consent.